0: The hype train runs through Austin. Ricardo Pepe does it again and does it twice as the United States beats Jamaica to go top of the table in CONCACAF. We're covering El Paso's finest. While the US capitalized on their home field advantage, Mexico most certainly did not. A timid performance sees points dropped at Azteca and leaves us with a lot more questions than answers about Tata Martino and his side. Plus the fallout continues from the NWSL's sexual abuse scandal. We'll tell you who is already on their way out and a few more who should be joining them. All that and much more starting now on Football Americas. Achilles Gomez, Semi Salazar with you here on ESPN+. Plus. All right, Herc, you're going to have to explain to me what Hector Herrera and Tecatito were doing because I know they weren't playing well against Canada.
1: <laughs> Do you, have you not seen Squid Game? Have you no. not seen this new show I'm on Netflix? Cool. It's amazing. It's a South Korean uh, show. It's kind of like Hunger Games for delinquents. Uh, mm. it, it's really good. You should watch it, but that is an animatronic doll that plays red light, green light. And if you get caught you get eliminated. Watch it. it, it's well worth it. But that's what yeah. that filter was. I'll put, it, uh, I'll put it in my queue.
0: On our queue for today's show, we got Jurgen Klinsmann gonna join us to discuss the US, a big win over Jamaica 2-0. And of course, the star of the day, Ricardo Pepe. We're gonna have an interview with Ricardo Pepe as well. He went one-on-one with our Sam Borden while we were down uh, in Austin for that game. We'll also hear from Mauricio Pedrosa, gonna join us to uh, break down the disappointing 1-1 draw for Mexico. At home at Azteca against a Canadian team that looks pretty, pretty good, Herc. We got to admit. But let's start in Austin. Q2 Stadium, a sold out, Herc, for these Q2 Stadium for the US against Jamaica. Great atmosphere. Great atmosphere in this one. A game that got off to a crazy start, Herc, like 30 seconds in. Paul is in. Kamar Lawrence hauls him down. Should it have been a red?
1: Verticality. That's why he's there. Verticality. Uh, this is. A red card all day. The next touch is cutting the angle and going to goal. Denial of a goal scoring opportunity. Dogzo, he should have been gone. Jamaica would threaten a little bit in the first half. Yeah, Tyreek McGee. Some of the run of play. Tyreek McGee with an
0: opportunity there. But then another turnover here for Jamaica, Brendan Aaronson in. Damien Lowe takes him
1: down, or does he? Was this a foul? Damien Lowe with a boneheaded move, but then he totally redeems himself. This is not a foul. This is not a foul. I repeat, this is not a foul. Definitely not a yellow card.
0: Jamaica threatening late in the first half, really the one big save Matt Turner had to make.
1: Yeah, and it's not easy. It's not an easy save, and it's not easy not being called on for so long and then having to produce a big save like that.
0: Zero into the second half. It's that man. It had to be, didn't it, Herc? Ricardo Pepe on 49.
1: Ricardo Pepe, El Tren, Yunus Musa to Serginho Dest. Serginho Dest does what he does best, and it's Ricardo Pepe in the box. It's almost a guarantee at this point. U.S. strikes
0: again in the 62nd. Credit to Anthony Robinson, who springs the play. Brendan Aronson, Pepe,
1: 2-0. Brendan, Mr. Américas, Football Américas, Aronson on a platter. Ricardo Pepe, Are you sure this kid's only 18? <laughs>
0: He would come out in the 68th minute to a wild applause. Tim Wayne to his replacement, Jassi Artist, who just misses a third. Here's everyone after the game talking about Pepe.
2: We're all excited. I mean, for us, we're just sitting there, and we're on the train. You know, we're just observing everything that's happening. It's, it's amazing. I mean, you know, an 18-year-old gets an
3: opportunity and takes advantage of it. What you see, and I think what I really like is that He has this instinct, uh, and it's really hard to teach that that to players, and he has an instinct to score. I think he's really grown into this striker that is just – so deadly in the box you know he's someone that's always around i mean for a midfielder slash winger what
1: i am it's a dream to play with a strike with him because you know he's going to be in these spots and his hold up plays good he plays simple you know he doesn't try to do too much and when he gets in the box he scores and that's something that you can see and yeah i mean i'm really proud of him he's an 18 year old kid and it's unbelievable
4: what he's doing and yeah he's uh, this is the sky's the limit for him and i'm really proud of him I feel like I've worked, you know, just to be able to be on the, on the squad, you know, being able to, to represent my country. I feel like I made a big decision, and I'm, I, like I say when I, when I made my decision, that I was, was going to give my all to the team, and that's what I'm doing.
1: Is it too much too fast,
4: though? You know, I feel like it's coming, you know. I don't know if it's too fast or if it's too slow. I feel like it's coming. Whatever is going to come is going to come, and I feel like I have to be ready for it, be prepared. Thank you.
0: Ricardo Pepe then the man of the match, Herc, we'd agree, kind of a quiet first half, not a lot of touches on the ball, but he's clinical and that's what matters most, right?
1: Yeah, very similar to his first outing with the U.S. Men's National Team versus Honduras. Quiet first half explodes once the team comes to life. He's very much that prototypical center forward in the box type of striker where he may not do anything for 89 minutes, but that last minute, that minute you leave him alone, that's the deciding factor.
0: And to his credit, he is the guy that puts Paul Areola through 30 yes. seconds into the game to spring that attack, which, you know, could have, should have been a red card and reduced Jamaica to 10 men. So let's think about the next couple games and really the U.S. men's national team as a whole, Herc, after last night's performance, has Ricardo Pepe locked down the starting nine job moving forward?
1: I mean, yes, it's by default. Uh, think mm. about the players, certainly this summer, who have been given an opportunity. Think about... Josh Sargent. Thinking about Pifok when he started. Think about Daryl Dike. Thinking to an extent, Giassi Sardes, even though he's been a little bit more productive. None of them have taken that opportunity and ran with it like this 18-year-old kid Ricardo Pepe has. Ricardo Pepe, and, and the first thing people say about him that play with him is he's lethal. He's in the box. Uh, Christian Aaronson, or sorry, not Brandon Aronson, Christian Brandon Eriksen talks about how good it is to play with a striker like that, because you know where he will be. He is consistent in his movement in the box. Uh, I will caution, he's 18 years old, small sample size, but everything he's shown us, Seb, to this moment Mm. makes us think he's ready for this World Cup qualifying process. And when you're Greg Verhalter, all you can do is count on the guys who are producing, and he's one of them. Mm. So I don't
0: think he's actually locked down the starting job for these three games. But that's only down to rotation, right? right. I, I don't right. think we're going to see Greg Burhalter use the same starting forward in all, in all three of these games. But if that third game was played, I don't know, two weeks, three weeks, a month from now, Ricardo Pepe would, would have to start If it was a must-win right?
1: game, he'd be the starter.
0: Absolutely. No matter yeah. how many games in, in a row you're playing. I think it also comes down to the other options, not just that, that maybe didn't take it and aren't on this roster, but the guys on this roster. It's Matthew Hoppe who we haven't really seen play through the middle for Greg Berhalter yet. Though we know we can play it. And we know from an interview he did here on Football football.america he wants to play it. And it's Giassi Zardes, who is very popular for Greg Berhalter. Not so much for the US men's national team fan base, it seems at times. Between those two, if you had one start to give, I would
1: give it to Hoppy. you agree? I'd give it to Zardes. I know what mm-hmm. I get out of Zardes at this level. And you could say, Sardis came on, and he was at the right place, right time. I thought the ball from Timothy Wea was just a tad bit too hard uh, sprung across there. But Jussie Sardis is consistent. Jussie Sardis, if anything, knows the Berhalter system. Berhalter trusts him, and I think his teammates trust him as well. And also, for his divisive—and I agree with you, he is. He's polemic within the fan base. He's a is guy it fair? That- no, no, it's the stigma of Major League Soccer, and we've spoken about this a lot a lot of different times. I mean, it's Sebastian Legette, it's Christian Roldan, it's Paulo Arriola, it's Jossi Zardes. It's, to many fans, the stench of Major League Soccer, but if they played in whatever Scandinavian country, you know, mm-hmm. they'd be like, oh, that's the guy we want. If they played second division Spain, that's the guy we want. If they played in Austria, that's the guy we want. They happen to play in Major League Soccer, so that's not who they want, but these are players who have been productive, and I mean productive in points and wins for Greg Berhalter, productive in goals and assists for Greg Berhalter, and in moments. Paul Arriola heavily criticized, and you were right, verticality. That's why he's there. He's he's there to stretch those opposing defenders. He's there to create room, create havoc, and he's experienced. And when the going gets tough, I want players like that with that little nasty attitude like Paul Arriola.
0: Mm-hmm. Herc, let's take a look back at last night's starting 11 because the team that Greg Berhalter picked was actually – I think pretty close to what to what you picked on yeah. Monday. Shows there right? was it two players. different, two yeah. different, right? Paul Walker. Ariola instead of Tim Weah. There you go. Walker Zimmerman instead of uh, Chris Richards. Uh, did Greg Berhalter get this eleven right? Even though it wasn't exactly
1: what you wanted, uh, maybe, maybe not. Uh, let me explain myself. Uh, he got the three points. Where to commit yourself? Right. Well, let me explain myself. Okay. He got the three points, which is ultimately the end game. That's the goal: is to win. Correct. But this is the second straight game where it's how he modifies things at half that win him the game, that allow him in the second half for that game to open up. Uh, now, this wasn't a modification as far as player personnel, but tactics. Uh, you saw Weston McKinney, who was very erratic in the first half, Seb. He was trying way too much. Maybe he was trying to vindicate himself for what had happened. He was trying way too much, play deeper, play more alongside Tyler Adams, settle down, which allowed Eunice Musa. A more of a free role to go into the attack and join the likes of Dest, and Ricardo Pepe, and Aronson. And I thought that's when things opened up for him. So the modification to this 11 allowed Greg Berhalter and the U.S. Men's National Team to win. Not so much the 11. But we got to give him some credit here. He did line up a team that did very well. Uh, Paroyola was good. So was Walker Zimmerman, one of the better players on the field, one of the best defenders, probably the best defender on the field. So you have to give credit to Greg Burhalter there. They were in his lineup.
0: Those were the two differences, right? I'm super surprised that they were in the starting 11. I, I think I said on Monday show, I was surprised Paul Ariola was, was in the group at all to begin with. Walker Zimmerman isn't on the initial list, right? Yeah. He comes in only because others drop out. So uh, to see them then in the starting lineup in the first game I, I was a surprise for me. I'm with you though. They both they both played really well. Like, Ariola yeah. gave you exactly what you've said. I won't repeat it. And and Walker Zimmerman, I thought- was, You can was repeat it.
1: Verticality. That's what he's there <laughs> for, verticality. verticality.
0: It sounds so cliche. The one point I will make is, Herc, you were all about youth and European pedigree. Here, at least, in those two examples, yeah. Greg Berhalter picks Major League Soccer experience over young European pedigree.
1: Yeah, Major League Soccer experience,
2: I think and you're using out.
1: to your advantage there. He's picking national team experience. That's the difference there. National team experience. Pariola already has some national. He was part of that World Cup uh, qualifying process that wasn't successful with uh, Jurgen Klinsmann and Bruce Arena. So that, that's national team experience. Walker Zimmerman as well. Walker Zimmerman, by the way, was one of the better players at the Gold Cup till he got injured. And then it was Donovan Pines who comes in his place. And you know how that went, uh, which allowed then Miles Robinson to kind of shine. But he was a very good player for him during that Gold Cup. So surprised that he wasn't the initial call up there, uh, but happy he got his number called and he produced for him.
0: Herc, uh, one spot where Greg Burhalter didn't lean on MLS experience and went with the young European pedigree was in midfield, right? That that midfield three, Tyler Adams, Weston mm-hmm. McKinney, and the 18-year-old Eunice Musa, who played really, really well, I think, uh, in the second yeah. half. Uh, what would you make of that midfield trio, how they worked? You talked about it already a little bit, but moving forward, because a lot of folks on Twitter were loving that. We're loving that, that group of three. Um, is this the best midfield trio for Greg Berhalter?
1: this window yes this window if you have everybody available i don't think so i am dying to see giovanni reyna as an eight 433 mm. is the preferred method for greg burr if you have giovanni reyna as an eight that's brendan aronson who stays on the field ricardo pepe brendan aronson christian pulisic giovanni reyna weston mckinney tyler adams that is my midfield right there i think eunice musa Is a good guy to plug in there in this rotation, but I am dying to see Giovanni Reyna, like he does at Dortmund, playing that eight. Be a facilitator, be a two-way player, which allows, and the most important thing here, Brendan Aronson to stay on Mm -hmm. the field. I don't know how you can take Brendan Brendan, excuse me, Brendan Aronson off.
0: Yeah. So, Eunice Musa to me is the guy you're taking out, right? Correct. And I, I thought he stood out more than anybody else in that midfield trio last night, especially in the second half, right? It's his drive, it's his willingness to push the ball forward that makes a difference. The one thing about all three of those guys, and I think you're right to some extent, is that, you know, they're, they're in club situations where starting minutes anyway are not guaranteed. So, you think about like long term, every single window, are you going to be able to count on them healthy and coming healthy, in in form yes, and coming in play? Wise. I think, I think there's some, some honest concerns there about those three, especially, you know, health and, and some of their injury histories um, as well. But either way, um, it's a good, good problem to have all those options that seem to be popping out right now in midfield. So the U.S. then has to go to Panama on Sunday. But they're back on ESPN, Herc. Next Wednesday against Costa Rica uh, should be a, a very, very interesting game. They will be somewhat shorthanded against Panama. Uh, Herc, what do you think uh, they can do to kind of overcome the absences that are, that are coming?
1: Well, they're not just any absences, right? I mean, Matt Turner with this, with Zach Steffen not being available and Greg Berhalter knowing this pretty much sums up that he sees Matt Turner in this moment as that number one. And then it's Weston McKinney, who I thought Weston McKinney in the second half did decent at settling himself down and saying, you know what, this is what we need for the team to be successful, this is what I'm going to do. and was very good. He looked like he pulled up limp, and obviously he's he has he's got that quad injury right there. So that's somebody that they will miss. Uh, but this is just another opportunity, next man up mentality. Seb, you've mentioned it before. We've heard this many a time. It, it's going to take everybody who gets called up to actually be successful in these three games. He played, he started, excuse me, 21 different players. Mm-hmm. Last FIFA fixture window, 22 appeared. I think we're gonna see the same thing happen this go around.
0: Yeah, I wonder what you think about Serginho Des. He came off, looked like he was uh, maybe a little bit limping. But then I saw some video today posted. He seems to be on the bike, so maybe maybe hopeful. Why uh, is he limping? Hopeful. He was doing like a thousand
1: stepovers over everybody. Why would he be limping?
0: We saw, him, we saw him, though, playing in a back four. And again, yeah. um, against a team where you had a lot of the ball, it, it really go. did work. I mean, he's, he's the guy that, that breaks things open for Pepe with the assist.
1: Yeah, yeah. Eunice drives, and he's out wide, and then he does what he does. I thought he was very good. I thought he was enjoying himself, which when he plays against CONCACAF teams, you don't necessarily ever see him enjoy himself, but I thought he was having a lot of fun. And like you said, you mentioned the possession. We've mentioned it here on the show. If you're going to have a lot of the ball, he can play in that four-man back line. I thought he was exceptional.
0: So the US then down in Panama on Sunday. We'll talk about that a little bit later in the show, but we do have to remind you they're back on our network next Wednesday, October 13th against Costa Rica from Columbus, Lower.com Field, which we know to be loud from our experience there at the Campeones Cup. A game on ESPN2, simulcast on ESPN+, and as always, available streaming live on the ESPN app, such as DVRs, for next Wednesday.
2: Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
0: All right, from the U.S., we turn our gaze to Mexico, who drew 1-1 at home at Azteca against Canada. Now, Mexico actually got off to a pretty good start uh, in this game. Jorge Sanchez of Club America striking in the 21st minute. The lead wouldn't last, not even to halftime, though. Canada... But you could make a pretty good argument. I think we're probably the better team in the first half. They struck back on 42 Alfonso Davies setting up Jonathan Osorio. a former teammate there with Toronto FC Mexico dropping points at home. Uh, there was some drama in this game for sure. Uh, a penalty shout late for Mexico. Chuki Lozano and Capote the Canadian goalie getting getting tagged up. But then Chuki got called for the foul. And we heard the anti-gay chant as well. A horrible night for Mexico. Here's Tata Martino. Tata Estos partidos
3: de dos rivales con muchas pretensiones en el área, este hay que jugarlos con jerarquía y hay que dirigirlos con jerarquía. La jugada, desde mi punto de vista, no amerita ningún tipo de duda. Y también me parece...
0: So plenty to be upset about, Herc, if you're a Mexico fan, or I assume if you're the manager, Tata Martino. But the thing he's the most upset about is that CONCACAF does not have VAR for uh. these World Cup qualifiers. Uh, is that why Mexico, you think, dropped points? That was why they dropped points. Figured that was what
1: you were going to say? No, maybe he's got a case. Maybe you can check that in VAR. Maybe that influences the play or not. Could be. Fine. But that's not the reason. And if you ask any Mexico fan what the reason was they dropped points, it certainly won't be VAR. It, it, It may be Tata Martino. It may be his tactics. It may be player personnel. It may be players on that day. But VAR would be down on that list. And I think Tata Martino right now is grasping at straws, trying to figure out why they couldn't win.
0: Well, technically, yes, if there was VAR, Mexico would have won this game because they would have looked at that decision and they would have given a penalty. You think they would have given a penalty? Absolutely, absolutely would have given a penalty. I don't think they would
1: have given a penalty, so now- And
0: Jimenez with his track record would have scored it, Mexico would have won the game. But (laughs) I agree with you, I agree with you, it's not why you know they lose in the end. They they lost because you could actually make the case. uh, Mexico were lucky to just come away with a point. Oh, very lucky,
1: Canada was better.
0: Yeah, they're out-possessed in the first half, same amount of shots on goal. I mean, I think Memo's just as nervous as Cropot throughout the match. Uh, There was a lot of pressure, Hercules, on the Mexican goal. So you look at it from that standpoint and you say, look, there are a lot of other things to talk about. But I think we both agree, it is bad that CONCACAF doesn't have VAR, right?
1: It's terrible that CONCACAF doesn't have VAR. But whining about at this point to no end is going to do you what? It's old man hmm. yelling at the clouds. That's what you're doing. It does you no good, Seb. So Tata Martino can complain. He can whine. He can make all the sense in the world. But it's not going to change anything this go around. And I know he's not alone. Okay? But yeah. it's not going to change anything this go around.
0: Yeah. Greg Berhalter clearly wasn't happy with the calls that didn't go his way, which clearly had there been VAR, Correct. you'd think at least one of them would have been uh, would have been. Overturned. Uh, look, the star of this game—I uh, don't think there's any doubt about it. It was it was Alfonso Davies. Now, usually when we talk about Alfonso Davies, it is in the context Herk, of is he the best player uh, in Concacaf. It's a topic that has been raging this week, especially on ESPN Deportes and Football Picante, where you were a guest and things got very heated. O sea, no es fan. mejor
1: que el Chucky Lozano, que el Tecatito Corona y que Raúl Alonso Jiménez, un Chucky lateral. Lozano. ¿Te ¿Dijiste Tecati Corona? Sí. Mm. sí no lo... Perdón, ¿Escuché bien?
2: Sí, si sí, no, no lo no, conoces. Ya
1: la última pregunta, la pregunta porque pregunta ya se enojó.
3: Es mejor que Pulisic, la última entonces. pregunta porque ya se enojó. Ya, 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 ya despídelo. Ya, ya despídelo. Oh, ya ya. Sí, ya despídelo, despídelo. Pausa. Oh. Adiós, vamos, Hércules. Pausa. Poco aguanta.
0: Classic, classic television
1: uh, moment there. Herc, I'm surprised
0: you've never walked off the set of this show. You you were really mad. <laughs>
1: no. I was just, I'm not going to waste my time trying to deal with these clowns who are just throwing out names and throwing out names. Mm. Chucky Lozano is the only one on that list that you could say is in that best player in CONCACAF uh, conversation. Raul Jimenez mm. has been inactive for almost a year. He's only had two games with the Wolves where he's really stood out. He's only had – this was before the one game yesterday. Tecatido Corona, I think you could – I think nobody in their right mind would say he's in a good moment. I'm actually thinking he's not of the moment to play and start for L3 right now. He's in his worst moment in a Mexican uniform, in a club uniform, that we've seen in quite some time. So, yeah, it just – I'm not going to waste my time.
0: Dude, I don't even think Chucky Lozano, if we're being honest, is in the conversation right now with Davies. I think Davies is in a league, a part of everybody, and we see it at the international level. I mean, we saw it in the game last night, right? Every single game he plays – Um, He makes an impact. He's the the guy that's creating the play. He splits not one, not two, three Mexican defenders on the ball to to Osorio. That's that's the point for Canada. He's the guy that's making the
1: difference. Nobody else is close to that. There is no more impactful player for his national team. And consistently impactful. He's played something like eight games, eight World Cup qualifiers up up to date. He's already got like four goals, six assists, something crazy like that. Our our producer Beto Peralta put it the best way Mm. in the production meeting. He said, Keylor Navas can keep you in games. Alfonso Davies will win you games.
0: Yeah. I'll win you points, uh, as he certainly helped Canada do last night at Azteca. By the way, by the way, I'm pushing my chips into the middle of the table here on Canada. I had them as one of the top four. I think I had them as fourth when we made our predictions before the like...
1: No! No, no,
0: I did. I did. I had them in Jamaica as the other two besides the United States and Mexico. Um, I had them number I- three. I think they're... I think they're going to Qatar. I think they're going to Qatar. I'm all in on the uh, on the Canadians. Uh, let's get to our uh, our next salt. guest here salt. on Football Americas. Okay, I, I don't know if he's ever walked off the set of uh, Football Picante, though he has been a uh, frequent contributor on that show, as well as uh, Ahora Nunca, <laughs> where he works with Hercules and probably on a daily basis wants to walk um, off the set. Harsh. Mauricio Pedros, I Harsh. know you would never do that to us here on Football Harsh. Americas.
3: Uh, no, I will never do that, and I appreciate you not introducing me as another clown, as Herc just described. <laughs> our colleagues are f- Football Picante. I'm not saying he's wrong. <laughs> exactly. I-, I just believe it's the first time they've been called clowns on air on ESPN airways. I don't think and it's the first time. So <laughs> to the Canada Van Wagon, by the way, Sebi, welcome.
0: Yes, yes, it's gonna be, uh, I think it's gonna be, need a lot more seats before this thing is all, is all said and done. So let's get to our edition here of, of three questions, three questions on the Mexican national team after the draw against Canada at Azteca last night. Number one, was Mexico outplayed? Or outcoach. Mauricio, what do you think?
3: Both. Canada had a better game plan, so Tata Martino was outcoached, and Canada's players performed better than the Mexican players, so they were completely outperformed. And there are many reasons for that. The moment Canada's managers saw the lineup and realized that Jorge Sanchez was gonna play right back for Mexico, he immediately saw and probably dreamt of the moment when uh, Alfonso Davies was going to eat Jorge Sanchez alive, and that happened. And it's not only that. I think Canada felt in control of the game for most part. They had better spells, and the big problem for Mexico was they had no answers for that. You can start a game very, very slow, but if you don't adjust, if you don't adapt, if you don't come up with answers, then that's on the manager. That's why I believe Tata mm. Martino yesterday was out coach. But at the same time, there were some, some individual performances that actually made me realize Canada was just an overall better team than Mexico last night at the Estadio Azteca.
1: He's absolutely right. It is both. John Herdman ate Tata Martino's lunch. He saw the way that Tata Martino sets these players up, and he went toe-to-toe. He went two for two. Con estos with these players, and he exposed their lack of physicality and lack of speed or ability to defend speed and made it yeah. a track meet. That center of the park, that midfield of Guardado, Héctor Herrera, they're still trying to recover. Etzen Alvarez was on an island trying to defend and cover all these different uh, uh, sectors of the field—it was completely to Canada's favor. John Herdman and these players uh, should be given tons of credit, as should Tata Martino and these players be to blame. So it is both.
0: Easy, easy to, to pick on Tata Martino. Now I get it, and I think some of the, the shine is starting to wear off, right? I think there was a good start, a good honeymoon, but I, yeah. think, I think we're starting—that's starting to wear off on Tata Martino. Still. Um, Guys, it ha- we have to talk about the players. We have to talk about the players that, that didn't play well. Where, where was Raul Jimenez? He wasn't the impact that I hoped he'd be. Tecatito, nowhere <laughs> near the impact. Héctor Herrera, nowhere near the impact. By the way, Herc's number one of the five center backs, Nestor Araujo, what is he doing on the goal? He's one of the three players. Did you that Raul Jimenez
3: He's one of their better players? There's, but there's a reason for that. But there's a reason for that, Sebi. Um, to me... The one big conclusion that I, that I took of this game was watching Raul Jimenez. I think that's a very good example. He felt like he was the only guy playing forward. I mean, when he had the ball, Chucky Lozano was 20 yards away from him. Tecatito Corona was 20 yards away from him. And there was no either Andres Guardado or Héctor Herrera approaching his position. Yes, it felt like it was not Raul Jimenez's best game. But I blame Tata Martino because that's part of his plan. And if the players go out on the pitch, and I'll put it this way. Last night, I saw no difference from Tata Martino's team to Juan Carlos Osorio's team. That's the Ooh. best team. So I don't know what Tata Martino has been doing in the past two and a half years. And
1: by the way, you, you mentioned Raul Jiménez. Raul Jiménez had the very exact play with Irvin Lozano, Chucky Lozano, left-hand side slips him through as he had with Wolverhampton a week ago. The only difference was... <laughs> It was put away.
0: Chuki didn't finish. Yeah, Chuki didn't finish. Yeah. Um yeah, look, uh, uh, maybe picking on Raul Jimenez is the wrong guy, but the the big names, the big names didn't show up. You can even throw Edson in there. I didn't think Edson was great last Guardalo, night. So,
1: Achache, Edson, yeah. I, yeah, it's fine. All fair. All fair game. But it, and this is where I'd say it's both because. Data Martino goes to the bench, he brings on Rodriguez, he brings on Romo. They don't have the physicality, the ability to defend the speed, to be that type of, to make it that type of game. So the tactics were off from Data Martino. That's where I agree with with, uh, Mauricio on this.
0: Next question I want to ask here on Three Questions. Has Azteca lost its fear factor? But before we answer that, let's hear from John Herdman, the manager of Canada. This is last night after the game.
3: Come to the Azteca, probably the hardest away atmosphere
2: in CONCACAF. You've got a result. How much confidence do you take away from this? Well, I think there's going to be harder harder environments. I think Honduras <laughs> and El Salvador are going to be tough. I think it's a good result. It's not a fantastic one. You know, a fantastic one would have been three points in the Azteca. You know, we're a, we're a talented team. I think we showed tonight we had some really good opportunities. It could have been three points, so content, but not happy. Wow,
0: John Herdman, another soundbite machine here on Football Américas. El Salvador, Honduras are gonna be tougher to play than the famed, the mighty Azteca. Mao, is he wrong? Has Azteca lost its luster? Ya no pesa. Uh,
3: Ya no pesa igual. Yeah, it has lost some weight. I find two reasons for that. I'll give you the first one. And it has to do with the relationship between the team the national team, the players, and the fans. There is some sort of contention, disconnect between the team and the fans, and it all has to do with el grito. Every time things start going south for the national team, fans start to react poorly, as it happened also yesterday, and then starts the blame game. Players blame the fans, fans blame the players, and not until they see a great performance, they're not cheering as loud, they're not pushing as hard, they're not putting as much pressure as they used to do. Her, he can tell us what it felt like playing for the U.S. men's national team at Estadio Azteca. Just don't remind us the result because you keep bringing up always the result. It's not important for this reason. But I'll give you another reason. And it's probably a thing that has to do with architecture. Mm. Estadio Azteca went through very deep renovations once Mexico signed a contract with the National Football League. And one of the Biggest sections in that stadium lost over 20,000 seats. And those seats were the ones closer to the action. Maybe it's a small detail, but I do believe it makes a difference of how uh, away players react. And the final take is this. Yesterday, of the starting 11 for Mexico, seven players came all the way from Europe. So altitude is also a factor for Mexico and not only the, op- the 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 opposite team.
1: He's absolutely
3: right in everything. The NFL being a factor,
1: mm-hmm. them taking away over 20,000 feet to make him club pre- uh, premium seating, so you no longer have those people on top of you. I remember when I was 19 years old and I visited Mexico City and I saw Mexico versus the United States men's national team. A 1-0 win by Mexico. There was over 100 and like 19,000 people there. I was in row like Z. It just felt massive. It felt like everybody was on top of you. No longer premium seating now because of the NFL. It doesn't feel Maracaná-esque, Esteca-esque. It feels like a very nice stadium. And then, yes. This is very important. Seven players, seven European players, very long transatlantic flight to get to Mexico City where they're no longer accustomed to the altitude. So not only does it weigh pesa on the opposition, it also weighs on your players. And and here's the most important thing. Do you remember back in the day, Mauricio and Sebi, when they used to take you to Azteca, playing the smog and in the sunshine at four o'clock and how heavy yeah, that was, yeah. how difficult that, that was. Yeah. No longer, because we need to yep. sell this game prime time at night under the stars. I remember a
0: huge World Cup qualifier for Mexico at Azteca 2009 when Charlie's Dave scores that or that early goal for the U.S. hurt. And it was Mexico pressing and pressing in the heat of the day and finally get the late goal from who is it? Miguel Sabah. Miguel Sabah. There you go. Miguel Sabah. Saba, yes, sir. Chris S- the Mexican Batele. Chris Wandelowski. Miguel
3: Sabah scored that day. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> so, um, all right. So let's move on to question number three here. Uh, and we mentioned it, right? The stars did not perform against Canada. So, who should sit? We'll give you a little multiple choice. Andres Guardado, Tecatito, or Raul Jimenez. Now, who you benching? You got to bench one of the three.
3: Andres Guardado, Benchimolo, and I don't want. even think it's debatable. No, 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 no. It's just Andres Guardado. I don't I don't think he can give you 90 minutes. I don't think he can give you 70 minutes like he played last night. He's just not. He's good enough, but physically, it takes a toll on Andres Guardado. He has not been a regular for Betis. He starts one game, and then he goes to the bench, comes off the bench the next day. So he has not played regularly for his club. He's, he's an older player now, of course, and whenever you ask him to play that role as a player box-to-box on the left-hand side next to Edson Alvarez, it's too much to ask for Andres Guardado. And let's go back to what happened against Panama. Andres Guardado coming off the bench for Jonathan Dos Santos, he was the best player on the yeah, field very good. that afternoon because he only had to give you 25 minutes. And that's all you need from Andres Guardado. It's time to give the starting role to Charlie Rodriguez, Sebastian Cordova, but not Andres Guardado.
1: Who you should sit is Tecatito Corona. You should sit Tecatito Corona, let him be refreshed, let him take a step back and realize just how not good he's been, refresh his mind refresh his legs, get an appetite again, get his confidence back again. Andres Guardado no longer has a place on this team. Andres Guardado is of the Rafa Marquez mold right now. He's the guy who's going to be there in the second round game, that fourth game, and he will give you about 45 minutes like Rafa Marquez did it against Brazil. He's be there for that leadership and nothing else. You can't count on him, like Mao said, game in and game out. Certainly not when you have three games in a window. That's not the Andres Guardado you want, and if you want to waste a spot on him to only use him 25 minutes here, 25 minutes there, that means Cordoba could be out, Rodriguez could be out, or Luis Romo could be out. I don't know if I want mm. that for I'm a Mexico fan.
0: Look, you're, you're you're killing Andres Guardado, but you're leaving him in because you're, you're saying the guy you should sit is, is Tecatito. I, I leave no, Tecatito no. in. No, no.
1: I'm leaving him out of the 18. Like, he doesn't even have the opportunity to sit. He's out of the team. Oh.
0: Wow. Oh. Wow, not even okay. an option off the okay. bench. That's harsh. What do you think about that? Too much, no? Demasiado.
3: No, that's too much. Again, I go, I go back five to that career, game again. but against that's what Canada you're hanging on and to. Andres Guardado, but Andres Guardado was a big factor. I'm not saying it's going to happen every single game, but at least there will be some situations where Andres Guardado can still be useful. And you're right. He's probably still there because he's the captain. He's the most ex- experienced player. And Tata Martino can use him as a liaison between the technical staff and the players. Uh, that's no reason just to use one of the spots, right? But again, if he can still give you 20 to 25 good minutes, he at least has a shot at being part of the team in the bench.
0: I know it's called three questions, pero hay una más. One more question before we get out of here. Should Tata Martino try something new, something we've not really seen before? Should he go two up top and play Rogelio Funes Mori? Next, Raul Jimenez, what do you think, Mauricio? This is something he said in the past he wouldn't really entertain, but desperate times call for desperate measures.
3: He should try it, not starting them both at the same time because he's he's very, very sticking to his 4-3-3 and there's no room for both of them. But yesterday, last night, that was the greatest stage for Tata Martino to bring Rogelio Funes Mori off the bench and pairing him with Raúl Jiménez. I know they both played the number nine position, but they're not the same type of players. They have different qualities. They Their game is different. And I do believe if you play a 4-4-2, there is a change. There is a scenario for Raul Jimenez and Rogelio Funes Mori to play together. And a game like last night's was the best scenario for that. And Tata Martino wasted that opportunity. That's the thing. He's never going to
1: play a 4 4 2. Mm-hmm. So if he sticks with a 4 3 3 or a 3 5 2, which you could theoretically say he would feel comfortable with, because that's the other variant that we have seen. And we saw it uh, when he played uh, Antuna yeah. on the right hand side as a wing back. Where do you put Chucky Lozano? That's the issue. Mm. So if Raúl Jiménez and Funes Mori in Chucky Lozano is the odd man out, and you will never do that.
0: Very well. I think we'll leave it there. Funes Mori and Raúl Jiménez not then very likely to be seen partnering up top, according to our uh, panel of experts. We didn't really see much of it in Atlanta either, right? Uh, Tata Martino had plenty of chances to to go with the two two up top, never really went with it. So we'll see if he does uh, indeed stick to his guns to spat. The fact that the Mexican team needs some more offense. All right, Mauricio, we gotta let you go. Thanks so much for joining us here on Football América. It's always a pleasure. Adios,
3: amigos. Gracias.
0: All right, so here's a look then at the table as we stand through four of the 14 games. And what do you know, Herc? The US Men's National Team, first place on goal differential. Mexico in second, Canada third. And Panama, fourth, El Salvador picking up a big win there, first of the qualifying cycle. And uh, Keylor Navas with a huge free kick save for Costa Rica as they hang on to earn a point as well. Jamaica, your bottom dwellers, just one point from their first four games. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any.
2: Energy strikes again. Mature beyond his years. He'll cross this one in. Diving header and it's in. The 2-2 train just keeps steaming along. Oh, and here's another one.
3: It's Pepe. And here's Aronson breaking lines for the U.S. Pepe. It's becoming the happiest of habits.
0: Hercules, I know you were calling the USA-Jamaica game in Spanish last night, but had you been watching our English-language broadcast, you would have seen that our sideline reporter for the day was Sam Borden, a man who was very busy this past week in Austin, sat down for some long-ranging interviews with some of the stars of this team, but who better to start with than the man of the hour, Ricardo Pepe himself. Here's a brief snippet of Sam and Ricardo one-on-one.
3: If I had asked you then where you'd be two years later, what would you think you would have said?
4: I don't know. You know, it's a hard question to ask, you know, because I I don't think I would be, I'd say I'm here right now. You know, I'd be saying that I'd probably be in the MLS now, you know, maybe even getting some minutes. So, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to really tell where I would be and, you know, I'm excited to be here and I'm, I'm happy to be here, too.
3: You came onto this national team. It feels like a very quick thing, but I'm guessing that the decision to play for the
2: U.S. was probably something that you were thinking about for a long time.
4: That process was complicated just because, you know, I have my family who's at home. You know, they're Mexican. I grew up watching Mexican soccer. I grew up watching the Mexican national team. But then, you know, I started growing up and I started getting my opportunities with the U.S. I started, you know, representing the U.S. and U.S. national teams. And I started feeling something for the Crest. So, you know, I'm here now. I feel like I've made the best decision for, for me and for my family. And, you know, just go on and do the most out of it. perk we got to keep reminding people this kid
2: is
0: just 18 years old. By the way, we'll see some extended cuts of that interview with Sam Borden and Ricardo Pepe a little bit down the road here on Football Américas. But I think the first thing you have to say when you hear him talk, it's just impossible not to root for him, right?
1: How can you not root for him? He says the right things. He does the right things on the field. Just this I-want-to-work mentality. For the longest time, especially from where I come from, we've been looking for this representation. We've been looking for this superstar to come along and inspire. And here he is, El Tren. El Tren Ricardo Pepe, who has a whole nation believing and a lot of Mexican-Americans thinking, wait a second.
0: There's Mm. one of us. Yeah, you know, it's his profile that's so interesting because he says in the interview with Sam Borden, I grew up watching Liga Mexicans. I grew up watching the Mexican national team. You know, his sporting identity could have very well been Mexico over the U.S., but I think we have to give credit here to the youth national team programs of the United States. When Mexico showed some interest, the U.S. showed all the interest, and I think that's what makes the difference from the federation standpoint in landing this kid and, Herc, I know in, in the past I may have downplayed when you called Ricardo Pepe the beginning of a movement. I may be backpedaling on that now. I think, I think he's a pretty significant win, big picture, as well as short term uh, for U.S. soccer. Let's kick things on to where he might end up next, because uh, just as much as everybody's talking about his play, everybody is talking about where the next destination in his career uh, might be. By my count, he's been linked to teams in Netherlands, Italy, Germany. He's also a soundbite machine. Herc, you have to say that. He says, eventually I want to move to a big club, Real Madrid, Chelsea, okay? So let's fuel the rumor mill a little bit further. Let's give our picks for where we would like to see him end up. And as I understood the assignment, we could pick any team, right? Didn't have to necessarily be a team that he's linked to. So who are you going with?
1: Uh, Let me just say, maybe the best thing for him... Wouldn't necessarily be to move. You want him playing. But anywhere he goes in Europe, I don't think that's going to be the case. He's going to have to fight and claw for every single opportunity. But everything I've seen of this kid, he's ready for that challenge to fight and claw for those opportunities. So I would love to see him go to a club like Ajax. Listen, Ajax has a history, a proven track record of developing and refining talent, attacking talent. I know he will be behind Sebastian Haller. I know Sebastian Haller is a record signing. But refining your skills, what you desperately need to be tactically better and technically better. At 18 years of age, he is so raw, and I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean that in the most possible, like the best possible way. You can mold this kid into something special. I think Ajax, I think Holland, I think Netherlands is a perfect place for him to develop mm. said talent. How many times have we seen good talent become great talent and move on to bigger and better, as Ricardo Pepe himself said he wants to do?
0: Ajax, for sure, is a football factory. It's very hard to make an argument against them, but let me do my best here. You mentioned Sebastian <laughs> Allaire. Uh, he is only 27 years old, Herc, which means uh, he's not going anywhere. Right. And by the way, right now, he is balling for Ajax. So I think his place in the eleven. 11th Record signing. very much very much secure. The other point that I would bring up about the Dutch league is that the goals don't seem to translate. I can think of two obvious examples. You know who I'm going to go with? Don't Josie go, Altidore. Don't
1: say Chucky And Lozano. Chucky Lozano. Oh, he said Chucky Lozano.
0: Two guys who, who produced incredible numbers in the Dutch league and to date have never really replicated those numbers. So I don't know if goals in the Dutch league translate. The only other point I would make here is Ajax is a buying club. Herc, they're, they're, they're not going to stop investing and in, they're definitely not going to stop investing in that position. So even if he goes in there, and even if he wins some playing time, it's always gonna be in jeopardy. So for me, those are the reasons why I go against Ain't I hate to break quick it to rebuttal, you. Anywhere
1: you go, it's going to be jeopardy because you're gonna have to fight for that time. Okay,
0: let me give let me give my solution here. Okay. Red Bull Salzburg. Now, the obvious reason here, when you think Red Bull Salzburg, the first name that comes to mind, really the only name that can come to mind, yeah, is Erling Holland, who only spent what, 12 months there uh, in 2019, right? Right, sold right before the, the winter transfer window of 2020. There's a lot of similarities here. Maybe not in skill set just yet, but in terms of age, right? He would be getting to Salzburg at the exact same age almost that Erling Holland got there. The time Holland was there, 27 games, 29 goals. And immediately, within 12 months, he was sold. So, if Real Madrid, if Chelsea is on the horizon for Ricardo Pepi, Salzburg is the place you want to be. Because if you perform, they will be willing to sell you. Uh, no doubt about that. But the real reason is not Erling Holland, her. the real reason here is Brendan Aronson. What Brendan Aronson and Ricardo Pepe have brewing at the national team level, I think is something very, very special. At the national team level, I don't think it should be broken up. I don't think either Aronson or Pepe should come out of the lineup. I don't care who comes back in. (laughs) But if you could get them playing together at the club level, hurt, and playing together in the lead up to a World Cup, I've had a lot of bad ideas on this show. Yeah, Tell, Tell me that's a bad one.
1: It's not a bad one, and Ricardo Pepe playing leading up to the World Cup, is a must. It's actually you don't want to see him go out of a lineup, and if he's he out of a lineup, you want to see him constantly in as a sub, but being productive, which is what he's always been. And by the way, he fought himself into a lineup at FC Dallas over a DP, so it's not unthinkable thinking he could do the exact same thing somewhere else. Uh, one more thing, you said Brendan Aronson. Mm-hmm. I don't want to one up you, but Jesse Marsh could be integral if it is Salzburg. If he's still there, if Jesse Marsh is thriving with that Salzburg, what better mentor? What better teacher? than a guy like Jesse Marsh. So yeah, that right. would be mean, a bash out.
0: You mean eventually eventually, Salzburg yes. then to yes. Leipzig. Yeah, right. Yes, uh, obviously he'll be a player that will be well known to Red Bull, uh, no doubt about that. All right, so Herc, here we are. We're two guys on the Pepe hype train. Mm. But maybe train. let's see, let's see if we can add a third. And what, what better third would there be to add to the Ricardo Pepe hype train than none other than a World Cup winner former manager of the U.S. men's national team. And I think now we can, we can fairly call him a, a good friend of the show here on Football Americas, none other than Jürgen Klinsmann. Jürgen Klinsmann joins us Jürgen, Thanks so much for the time. Great to have you with us. Let me ask you the direct question right away. Are you, Jürgen Klinsmann, on the Ricardo Pepe hype train?
5: I'm definitely on his train. Hype hype is something a little bit uh, different. I mean, I'm so, so pleased about, you know, obviously what this kid is doing at such a young age. And, and uh, obviously, you know, scoring goals um, in World Cup qualifiers is a big deal. And, uh, and I see in him a little bit of her, a young Hercules Gomez, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I mean, I see in him as a kid that is, no, absolutely. I mean it that way because he is uh, uh, at the right time at the right spot. He is left-footed, right-footed. He can finish with his head. He's an instinct player. And, and uh, Hercules uh, was also somebody just living off his instinct. And this is something that no coach can teach you. No, this is something that you bring with from the streets, from wherever you play, the, 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 wherever you kick the ball around. And this is uh, no, it is uh, an awesome uh, momentum for for him, for the U.S. men's national team, obviously, to get the points so needed for qualifying to Qatar. Um, but I would kind of slow down the train a little bit um, because the questions that you just discussed, you know, where should he go? When should he go? Um, those are very, very difficult ones because uh, obviously we, we don't enter in the mindset of, of himself you know, at 18 years of age or, or the parents or his environment. I think it looks from the outside, I can only talk about it from the outside, um, that he's in a good place at FC Dallas. Uh, that he's learning his trade, um, that he's scoring, he starts to score his goals, obviously being invited to the national team is, is a big deal. Um, now started there to score. Um, the most important thing, as you already mentioned, is you know if you look down the road, 14 months down the road, we have the World Cup in Qatar. And if you want to be there, that World Cup, you got to come off uh, a good run of games. You need to play. You need to play week mm. in, week out. Um, if you want to have a good World Cup there now. Um, can he go somewhere in Europe and prove his point? Oh, absolutely, he, he probably will. But the timing, you know, it's really the timing uh, needs to be the right one. And, and so, I mean, some kids, they uh, like Brandon Aronson, they go over there, you know, they learn German and, or Austrian. You know, it's kind of a fake dialect of German. <laughs> and, uh, and, and they prove their point, you know. Or Christian Pulisic, I remember, you know, he took German class. I mean, after a short amount of time, he spoke amazingly German and, and so on, but not everybody is that way, you know, some, mm. I mean, I, I wanted to leave actually my, my hometown Stuttgart at the age of, I think I was 21, I had an offer from Arsene Wenger in Monaco for a lot of money, and, uh, um, and thought, I'm ready, you know, I'm going to rock it now down in France, and uh, my, my own club president came up to me and says, Jürgen, you're not ready at all, you know, you're still a kid, you know, so you still need to be uh, surrounded by your friends here in Stuttgart, by your family, I let you go, but you gotta wait another two years. And, so, and it was the case. So I had to wait two years. I was then 23 uh, when I made my first move to Inter Milan and away from home. So this move, I mean, when we talk about Europe, um, for some, it works out well right away. Um, depends what support system do you have then also in Europe, if you go. Um, and for some, it might be not uh, the right moment yet. You know, maybe you need a couple of more years in your comfortable more surroundings and, and uh, score your goals in MLS, which is, is awesome. And, and then, you know, sooner or later the moment comes, but you've got to calculate it a bit towards Qatar. You know, it's a big deal. I mean, Qatar, If he's now, so, he now doing so well, the kid. Um, I think, you know, focus on FC Dallas is great. And, and hopefully being always invited by, by Greg Berhalter for the national team, that's, that's the big deal.
1: Now, now, Jurgen, a lot of people are going to watch this interview, this segment right now, and they're going to say, wait a second, Jurgen Klinsmann, who famously got into it, Don Garber, about saying the best players for the national team have to play in Europe, <laughs> now is saying Ricardo Pepe has to stay in Major League Soccer. Is that what you're saying, one? And two, I agree with what you're saying, so tell me something that Jurgen Klinsmann, one of the best forwards uh, in world football, sees in Ricardo Pepe that he needs to work on.
5: Well, the point one is, you know, when is the right time to go to Europe? It depends only on the person himself. And I always said that when I coached the U.S. team, I said, you know, when you feel you're ready, go. Because obviously you always have to challenge for the next possible level. And for if you play in MLS or you play in Mexico, and the next possible level is Europe. So I always encourage that. If you don't get that opportunity or if you don't feel like taking that opportunity, then stay where you are. It's totally cool. I mean, we went to Brazil. Uh, with I think 12 or 13 MLS players, it was awesome. So, so there were a lot of wrong words being said after <laughs> after I left the U.S. national team. Um, I think you know um, Ricardo, no matter where he will go and how when he will go, still has to learn a lot. I mean, there's no doubt about it. I mean, uh, um, you know, the more you move up in the ranks, the tighter the spaces. You know, the faster the game, um, the more physical it gets. Uh, and also from the mental point of view, you know, when you go overseas at that point in time, um, I mean, it's a, it's a 24-7 environment. That means uh, people will talk to you everywhere you go. If you go to the Baker Butcher, you know, they will talk yeah. about your performance. You know, they will, be in your fa- they will be in your face if you don't score for two games. You know, I, I remember not scoring for two or three or four games in, in Milan and uh, I, I couldn't go out anymore. Day, day mm. after you. So all these little elements, the social life, um, obviously the family support, um, your confidence level when you go. As you said in the beginning, like you said, you know, uh, it's a bit different ballgame. Uh, every training session is basically, it's, it's, it, it's, a, it's not a war, but, but it's a fight. It's a fight yeah. for those spots, you know, and, and because everything is also kind of on, a, on an incentive level. Because of the bonus system in, in, the, in the European leagues, you know, you make more money if you play from the beginning. You make less money if you get subbed in, and you make almost no money if you are on the bench and yet not getting subbed in. Um, mm. So, all these different things play play a role. But right now, I just uh, uh, I just would relax if I was him. You know, do my best for FC Dallas, score goals in MLS, and uh, hopefully score goals, you know, for for the national team in, in order to get get us qualified there for Qatar. Um, but I understand the hype. The hype is all right. You know, I would slow down the train a little bit.
0: <laughs> uh, real quick, Jurgen, let's look ahead to Sunday and the game against Panama. You know, I remember the comments from, from Tyler Adams about a month ago saying that he'd rather play against France and England than El Salvador and Honduras. And, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to accept that as somebody who's never had to go down into CONCACAF and win a point. I, I, I can acknowledge that. But when you look at Panama away, the U.S. player for player is is better than the Panamanians. What should be the goal? What should be the expectation going down to Panama? Is it one point or is it three?
5: Well, the expectations can always be the three points. There's nothing wrong with it. I think you should go with that approach into any game, even if it's Mexico at the Azteca. Go there to win. But then obviously be realistic, you know, because the circumstances playing in CONCACAF are completely different to anywhere else in the world. You know, you fight the climate, you fight the fans, you fight the the referees, (laughs) Um, maybe, maybe the field. So only the people that are literally right there on the field and in the stadium know exactly what's going on there. So it's very difficult to get your points on the road in CONCACAF, there's no doubt about it. But in general, I think you should always go um, no matter where, and say, we're going to go for the three points. If at the end of the day, it's one point and it was a good game, it was a good fight, it was a good battle, so be it.
1: Now, Juergen's absolutely right that You settle for the point, but you go for the three, especially against a team like Panama, who, I mean, started off well, but in their last game has shown you they, they can be vulnerable.
0: All right, we'll leave it there. Jurgen Klinsmann, man, thanks so much for the time. Great to have you here on Football Americas, and we hope to do it again soon.
5: Thank you. Anytime, you guys.
2: Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details.
0: Herc, we've been waiting to get to this story for a while. News broke last week. Jonathan Gomez, 18-year-old Mexican-American left back who'd been playing for Louisville City in the USL. He's represented both the US and Mexico at youth national team level. Is going to be joining Real Sociedad in La Liga. He's going to finish the season in Louisville before jumping to Sociedad in January. Probably their B team is what we're hearing. Uh, the details of the deal is reported by the athletic Louisville City va a getting 100,000 dollars and 10% of his sell on fee now the manager for Real Sociedad's b team none other than Xavi alonso let's hear what he had to say about gomez
3: sí sí que lo conozco es un jugador lateral izquierdo con mucha profundidad eh, que tiene mucho eh, mucho despliegue que, que... Que la banda eh, pues, la sabe recorrer de pues prácticamente no solo en una posición baja, sino que sabe escoger altura, tiene mucho, mucho dinamismo, dando un buen nivel en, en la categoría que está, en Louisville, y es un jugador que tiene proyección y, y que. Por eso se quiere a, acompañar a lo, todo lo bueno que, que está, se está produciendo en Zubieta, pues con jugadores que, que te puedan ayudar en, en carencias que puedas tener o en, o en posiciones que no hay tanto esto. Y creemos que, bueno, no, creemos llegará para noviembre y podrá empezar a competir a partir de enero. Mm.
0: Herc, 18 years old, playing in the USL. Xavi Alonso is singing your praises. Not bad for young Mr. Gomez.
1: Not bad. Let's remind the people he was on the us Men's national team preliminary roster for Gold Cup. That didn't happen. It's currently a battle between Mexico and the US. Yes, another Mm -hmm. dual national battle. But he's with Mexican under 20 at the moment. A very good player. Uh, Verticality! Verticality, he offers it. So.
0: Hey man, you're right, we're headed towards another battle. This, this is definitely gonna be one. If you represent both, you know both federations are gonna be on this kid, especially with the big move. I think uh, there's a lot to come from him. As you mentioned, he's with Mexico now, but uh, the US has been known to do their work in that department as well. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if this is uh, just the very beginnings that we're hearing of, uh, of Jonathan Gomez there with Louisville but City and player. eventually with Real. Sociedad. yeah, very exciting player. Yeah, yeah, I think so uh, for sure. All right, let's move on then to the National Women's Soccer League. Herc, something that we have been covering uh, in depth over the last couple weeks. Of course, the NWSL returning to play this week after matches postponed over the weekend in light of the sexual and emotional abuse scandal, or scandals, probably better said, that are currently rocking the league. During the midweek games, Herc, we saw players stopping play coming together in a show of solidarity. Some really pretty powerful images, no?
1: very powerful images uh, you're stopping a game to send a message send a message to the world but more importantly your employers and this isn't an easy thing to do if, if you're a player I, I commend these players these women a- and the response has gotten all around the world yeah i mean I'm,
0: I'm impressed that they could play you know we can't pretend to know what the last week has been like for for players in the national women's soccer league so um, just the fact that they were out there, and not only were they out there, they're playing well. You're going to see some of the goals in the top five. Uh, part of the fallout continues, and in Portland, the Portland Thorns, of course, one of the teams that employed Paul Riley, the man accused of sexual coercion by multiple players in the report from the Athletic that really broke this thing open. The Thorns president Gavin Wilkinson has been placed on administrative leave. He was in charge of the team at the time. The supporters groups, Herc are uh, protesting. They're boycotting merchandise. Um, He has not been, however, removed from his Timbers duties. And I think that's kind of the big story here moving forward.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's insulting. You know, it's it doesn't matter. It only happened on the women's side. That it's it's very insulting. And something needs to be done about that. Absolutely.
0: Washington Spirit as well. Of course, remember, they had to fire their manager, Richie Burke, amid allegations of verbal abuse earlier this year. After that, an NWSL investigation, Uh, Showed further problems at the club. Fans calling for owner Steve Baldwin to sell the team. Uh, He offers to step down as the CEO. Then apparently like made an offer to sell the team. um, Took it back. Not just fans, but in this case, Spirit players are saying it's not enough. That he has to go.
1: He has to go. It doesn't matter if you're out as CEO of the Spirit. You're still the owner. From a player standpoint, how can you go in with the right set just the right mindset knowing that this guy is in charge. We've seen it in other leagues. We've seen it in other men's professional leagues where they force they force ownership to sell. Why aren't we seeing it here? He needs to go.
0: Hmm. Uh, Herc, we saw speaking of needs to go, Lisa Baird resigned, legal counsel for the NWSL resigned. Uh, how do you think the league has handled uh, the seven or eight days since the report broke from Meg Linhan in The Athletic?
1: Honestly, Seb, it, it's difficult to say if it's timely enough when they've been ignoring and sweeping things under the rug for the past mm-hmm. nine years. It's embarrassing as a league. Uh, a- as you know, there will be a women's team here, an NWSL team here in Los Angeles, and I was very much looking forward to season tickets. I already made my deposit, wanted to take my daughter. I am seriously reconsidering just because of what I've seen from the league and the lack of action towards it. it- it's-, it's embarrassing on all fronts that the little coverage that the women do get has to be magnified by the ignorance and incompetence of the league.
0: So I want to finish a point that I made last week, or at least started to make last week when we had uh, Julie Foudy on the show, because it's one thing to say what's happening to offer solidarity to the players. I think it's another thing to point out the problems, Herc. And we don't like doing that. Like, that's not the fun part of this job. Um, But I think it has to be done in this point, because um, on Thursday, last week, when this broke, we both called for Lisa Baird to resign. She resigned. Um, the next day, you have to call out the problem or else nobody's going to say it. You can't be vague in, in what you're talking about here. So I want to point out four examples that have, that have really been bothering me uh, throughout this. O.L. Reign, their manager, uh, Farid Benstiti, who they had to let go over inappropriate comments about weight and diet to the players. Lindsey Horan, a U.S. women's national team player, reported similar treatment from this coach while they worked together at PSG. Still, he was hired by O.L. Reign. Washington Spirit and Richie Burke, who they had to let go over verbal abuse allegations towards the players. There was a previous published report from a youth player who had played under Richie Burke, alleging homophobic slurs were used towards that player. And yet still, Richie Burke remained employed with the Washington Spirit. And then we get to the case of Paul Riley, which includes both the Portland Thorns and the North Carolina Courage, who either hired Paul Riley to work in their organization, Herc, without doing the due diligence, or they allowed him to continue working in the NWSL after having let him go, as is the case with the Portland Thorns and their owner Merritt Paulson. And that's where it really goes next for me, is that we have to acknowledge who is in charge, where does the buck stop, Herc? And that is in all of these cases with the ownership or the CEO. So it is Merritt Paulson with the Portland Thorns. It is with the North Carolina Courage, Stephen Malik, who in a statement claims that they conducted due diligence on Paul Riley, Clearly not. It is the Washington spirit and Steve Baldwin who hired Richie Burke. And in the case of O.L. Reign, they are owned, I believe, 95 percent by Olympique Lyonnais. Their CEO, Bill Predmore, he was the man in charge when these decisions were taken. Now, it's not our job to decide whether these people can continue as owners in the National Women's Soccer League, But it is our job to ask the question. I think whether they stay or not will come down to two groups, the other NWSL owners and the NWSL PA, who I think is newly empowered and may be able to take a stand against some of the people that they used to work for. But as you said, um, it's a shame that when we talk about the women's game right now, a huge percentage of the pie chart is going to this. News out of MLS, Felipe Hernandez of Sporting Kansas City has been suspended for the rest of the season, Hurt, forget this, betting on Major League Soccer. Now, uh, according to an investigation, he did not bet on Sporting Kansas City, uh, and he could apply for reinstatement as early as January 1st. A really shocking stuff, Yeah,
1: Yeah, uh, first off, I hope he gets the help he needs. Uh, they were talking about reports of his safety being in jeopardy, and that's why he reported it. Uh, and a gambling addiction, and debtors, and it's just insane. I hope he gets the hope he's looking for.
0: We usually uh, kind of laugh that you got cap Turk, but this is pretty scary last night, un juego molero, pero molero, molero, between Cruz Azul and San Jose, and a fan gets on the field and just starts haymaking.
3: No, no, no,
1: no, no, no. Chris Wondolowski starts doing what Wando does with the finish. Watch the takedown. Puts my man in a headlock, trying to attack my teammate. By the way, idiot fan, Number two, where is security? Why play Mm -hmm. these games if you can't feel safe?
0: Yep, absolutely, that one's on San Jose. You wanna have these events, you've got to make sure that you treat it like an MLS event. You gotta have the same amount of security, doing the same job. La Chofis, some good news for San Jose. Major League Soccer's player, not of the week, her of the
1: month. Okay, La Chofis, I see you. Six goals and an assist in the month of September, a month you will never forget best form of his life. A lot of people, a lot of pundits are saying, these Juego Moleros coming up from Mexico. Lachofis mm. will be on that list.
0: Interesting comments from La Chofis of late, too. He said, uh, MLS is muy parecido a Europa, so. A Europa, Michoacán? Con- yeah, I was wondering uh, what specific experience he was referencing there. How about this? Big news out of Major League Soccer. I know you're going to love this. You're a reality TV guy, Charlotte FC is going to r- raffle off, can I say that, raffle off a roster spot via a reality TV show uh, in partnership with none other than Mark Burnett of Survivor fame, Herc. Hey, Are you cool with this? You've got
1: a problem with this, up And it's not raffle you know off, it's compete it. for a spot. Go ahead, say your piece. I want to hear it.
0: No, I'm, it's just classic old man. Yelling at the cloud as it goes by, kids get off my lawn, stop playing your loud music, come on. This is supposed to be a sporting venture, not an entertainment venture only. Can we pretend it's at least about sports a little bit? Now we're gonna be giving away, hey, not just a spot on the USL team, right? Not a spot on your U19s. We're giving away first team roster spots, which we know in MLS are super valuable, super precious. Oh, yeah. To somebody off a TV show.
1: $70,000 a year valuable. Hey, Seb, really quickly, some of the best things I love, all or Nothing, Our Sunderland Till I Die, these these sports documentaries. And also, Jorge Alfaña, El Sueño. Where would he be today if he didn't have this type of opportunity? A 14-year pro. Where would Rogelio Funes Mori be if he didn't win that competition? No, he didn't even win it. If he wasn't in that competition with FC Dallas and Major League Soccer. I love it. And by the way, my co-host Mauricio Pedrosa won dream job for ESPN. You're trying to tell me... Th- Don't you, no, don't you do it, don't you do it. Classic
0: Hercules, some might say vintage. For Hercules Gomez, I'm Sebi Salazar, we'll see you on Monday.